Hi everybody, we're on season seven, episode 12, and I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi Matt, how are you doing? Good morning, nice nice to be back. Yes, not not too bad, although, um, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a man, as a part of the male section of our community, I'm delighted to tell you that um, I'm dying of man flu again. Aww. So uh, apologies, <laughs> apologies if I start coughing during our... Uh, our discussions or um or in fact i just collapse and pass out on the floor but well, you know, it's okay this man flu can be dreadful you know <laughs> it absolutely can be i was going to say i most certainly um get man flu i'd say but i'm going to say i like the fact that we have a theme matt it's either that you've got man flu or a holiday to tell us about we're we seem to alternate well, every time <laughs> in, indeed we do don't we yes it's either yeah. that or, or having to visit the hospital emergency for cutting my arm or something equally um, yes silly, equally silly but um yeah what what can i say absolutely uh, I'm, I'm not well i'm dying in fact so there we well, go let's let's, let's move cross. on quickly yes let's fingers <laughs> crossed let's get it done before anything like that happens okay right <laughs> today everybody we're going to be talking about arranging protection insurance for people living <clears throat> with sarcoidosis this is the practical protection podcast So we've chosen sarcoidosis today because it's something that um, I've seen more and more of over the last couple of years. And before the last couple of years, I did see it a little bit, but it just seems to be something that, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just seeing more people with it. Now, that could be because of the fact that it's my client base tends to be people with health conditions. It might be that, I don't know, on some kind of social forums, somebody's gone on and said, oh, I have sarcoidosis, you know, cure are amazing. Can you do this? And um, everybody go and see them. And we just might be getting that that way. But it just it is an unusual, it is a rare condition. And uh, we just think it's worthwhile and going across because I think as well, for the majority of advisors, if they suddenly have someone say to them sarcoidosis, I think a, a pretty significant number of advisors would just go, what on earth is that? So a little bit of a background and then Matt can really, really go into it for us with a bit of a deep dive from the medical side. So with sarcoidosis, it's usually diagnosed in people that's, uh, well, the NHS is in their 30s to 40s. And um, Sarcoidosis UK actually says from the 20s to the 40s. So we're kind of in that kind of area ground. And it, it is marginally more common in women than men. And um, in terms of the statistics side of things, when we're looking at it, it is a rare condition. And about one to two people out of every 10,000 people will be diagnosed with it. So in terms of advisors, it might be that you never speak to somebody with sarcoidosis, but you just never know. And so if you do need that bit of a help we are here obviously to give you that bit of background about 90 percent of people and um, that have sarcoidosis will have what's known as pulmonary sarcoidosis which means that the lungs and lymphatic uh, system are affected and about 30 percent of people will have extra pulmonary sarcoidosis which includes the liver it can include the bones and the joints it can be the skin and eyes it can be the heart, it can be the endocrine and kidney systems so lots and lots of things can potentially be affected if I'm right, I do think it can be quite a, it can be probably quite a mild condition at times, potentially, but it can go right through to being an incredibly serious condition as well. So, Matt, if you can start us off, please, with giving us some background about what sarcoidosis is, what's happening to the body. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd probably um, uh, throw in another stat there, which which talks about the numbers that you gave, but in a, in a different way. Um, and it's to say that with sarcoidosis, three to four thousand people are diagnosed each year in the UK. Yeah. 
So again, it's very similar to the numbers you just gave. They just just I'm just telling it a different way. Which um, again, if you are looking um, at the thirty to forty year category, then the chances are, I think. Uh, somebody who's been around, an advisor who's been around for a, a while, will have come across the disease with some of their clients. Thirty to forty being, of course, the the prime age for buying life insurance, or maybe yes. maybe twenty five to forty. But those are the key areas there. So perhaps maybe um, a little bit more common in terms of the advisor's desk than, than maybe we think. Now, <clears throat> Catherine, you quite rightly said that the sarcoidosis is rare. And it's one of these diseases of which um, there are a good number, really, particularly with more modern thinking, um, where the autoimmune system overreacts and starts attacking all the 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 the, uh, the cells in the body, yeah, um, and, and attacking the organs and tissues and so on and so forth. So it's it's very much an inflammatory disease, and um, we can see that a bit later with the types of treatment that are, that are given to try and um, dampen the activity of the immune system yeah. so that it comes back to normal. Um, what it's, you, You'll see the term or potentially see the term granuloma a lot with, um, with sarcoidosis and these really are, are simply um, clusters of, uh, of inflamed swollen tissue where the cells clump together and okay. they form this mass, if you want to call it that. But these are tiny when I say mass, but mass. Yeah. Uh, and it, and they, they form in different organs of the body. Now, you're quite right to say that the majority of cases are uh, impact the lungs, <clears throat> the pulmonary system. And again, quite right to say that it can be, this condition can be very mild and for um, no real reason, um they can actually uh go into remission if yes. you like um with no treatment whatsoever um wow. so it is it is quite a it's quite an interesting disease but it has to be said that there is no cure um you really the where medicine is at the moment is it's all around treating the symptoms okay. but to to go back on um this can be very very nasty uh, you can have lung involvement right from very minor involvement right up to pulmonary fibrosis um, and scarring and that can distort the way that the lungs work and when so get what's, to... what's pulmonary fibrosis just it's really it's really um fibrous so so in other words the tissue becomes very hard and tough and it doesn't okay. move in the way that it should uh, well, yeah, which would clearly be an issue, especially for breathing. Well, Absolutely. I suppose for anywhere, isn't it, really? But, you know, definitely the lungs, because we need them to be no, absolutely. flexible. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, the, the kind of end stage, if, if you kind of get to this pulmonary fibrosis at the end of the day, is um, a lung transplant. Oh, wow. Um, okay. a stroke, and then, or, or even if that can't be done, the client is too poorly, then um, I'm afraid um, death. Hang on, um, so I'm just going to pick that. Sorry, I'm just going to pick something very carefully there, if that's all right. So you said potentially a lung transplant, and then you said stroke. Do you, I wasn't sure if you were no, like no, talking no, no, dramatical sorry. stroke. Not, a, not, not the medical, not a medical stroke. Yeah, I just wanted to double check that. I was thinking, <laughs> hang on, I just missed that one. Okay. No, no, no. Good point, actually. Good point. <clears throat> um, 
as you quite rightly said, it can also affect the eyes, skin, heart, kidneys, and, and the nervous system as well. Um, diagnosis with the heart is, is usually from one of the actual symptoms, which is um, uh, called ventricular arrhythmia, where effectively the, uh, the heartbeat becomes abnormal. And yeah. the ventricles of the heart, particularly the left ventricle, which is the big pumping chamber of the heart, um, it doesn't work properly. Um, and it start, it, that, That's the easiest way to put it. It doesn't work properly. It doesn't pump the blood around the body. And uh, again, with that, um, you end up having a heart transplant. So... So we're talking potentially, you know, from an underwriting point of view, you know, as an advisor, if, if we... That, that's what the underwriters are probably going to be looking for in a sense and, and cautious of is that is this person potentially going to be needing something like this that that's right and that's that's very much the end game and to be perfectly honest the um you, you're absolutely right in saying that it's it's those stages in between if you like that the underwriter is going to be most interested in particularly those cases which and I, you know to, to to pick up the point here People with a history of sarcoidosis that has gone into, let's call it remission, disappeared from its um, either from just done it naturally or be from from drugs and the drugs have taken mm. it uh, into remission. Those cases can be given at standard rates for life insurance. Mm. So you know, it, it, you, again, you're not if somebody's had a heart transplant or a lung transplant. You're going to struggle to find terms in most cases. That's not to say never, but uh, in most cases. Um, so you can see the complete range that we have with sarcoid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say, I've actually tried to help somebody before in the past with um, a heart transplant, and um, the options were incredibly limited yeah. um, to the point yeah. of, um, you know, you either had it where phenomenally expensive, you know, and, and yeah. you know, it's it comes down to that thing of sometimes it's, phenomenally expensive in some situations or an exclusion. And for me, when we, I was chatting to the person, I, I felt and they felt as well that heart exclusion was an incredibly big exclusion to have on an insurance policy, even just talking about life insurance. I'm not talking about the critical illness cover side, of no, things, no, but, no. but just on the life insurance, it just, it didn't feel, I, I didn't feel like I would have done I, I think I would have constantly felt if we if we had gone ahead with it, I could have done it, but I was just very clear from the start that for me, it I felt like I was in a very, very grey area because obviously we rely on the heart so much. It'd be like almost like excluding the brain, you know, in a sense it's, I, I don't yeah. know. For me, I just, as from an advice point of view, I found that one very, very tricky. There are obviously some very special substances we can look at, which could be fine. Um, you know, people might be covered by their employer through group insurance, potentially, um, and, and that would work OK, um, depending upon the size of the scheme and the insurer's um, terms and conditions. But generally, um, yeah, just for the heart side of things, it's um, it's unfortunate. It's very, very tricky. Yeah, not 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 easy um, whatsoever, it has to be said. Hopefully in years to come, Catherine, things will get better with that. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, it's... You know, some it, of the things that are going on at the moment are just fantastic, as we were discussing earlier. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll, we'll go on. OK, sometimes we talk about symptoms um, here. And, you know, it, again, these are symptoms like we've spoken so many times um, about, well, what should you look out for um, if you're an individual in particular? Yeah. 
And with the lungs, it's no surprise that cough and shortness of breath. Um, but also you can get those wonderfully vague symptoms of fatigue, sweats, joint pain, skin rashes. You talked yeah. about the eyes, so red and painful eyes. You talked about the lymph system, so swollen glands. Um, so I do wonder whether quite a few of the, the actual eventual diagnosis of sarcoid are actually missed um, and they just resolve naturally. Oh, could too, this will be, be an interesting one we get on from my view mm. um, it's not a particularly educated view but it's a view um on on covid and sarcoidosis yes that was something that, i wanted to chat to you about that's something we're gonna yeah touch on touch on later on i think yeah so in terms of in terms of, we've looked at um what sarcoidosis is and I've already said that it's it's one of those those nasty diseases where the immune system starts attacking the body itself yeah about the symptoms which sadly I say sadly um are, are pretty vague unfortunately in terms of the treatment um the key word that I mentioned right up at the very beginning of the of the chat was inflammatory and therefore there'd be no surprises that um immunosuppressants um uh, particularly if the lone heart or neurological um, areas of body are uh, involved. And what they do, just to, to, to touch on this again, I know we've talked about it before, but this, that reduces, it suppresses, note immunosuppressant, yes. the, um, the immune system activity. So it calms it down. It gives yeah. it a nice friendly stroke and says, don't be, uh, don't be don't so dilly silly to try and attack your own body so i'm being i'm being daft then and a bit flippant but that's yeah. what effectively what they do absolutely um, and immunosuppressants are something as well even in their own right there's something yes. that underwriters are quite because obviously it is suggesting that the body well as we said you know not immune condition the body is attacking itself which is definitely not as good as the body not attacking itself so you know we're having to sort of really do something to to stop the body really making itself I mean we've done so, so many different ones haven't we recently and I'm thinking type 1 diabetes and all this kind of thing where there's different things happening and body attacking we need to to be very aware in terms of I'm not saying we necessarily use immunosuppressants there but in terms of the immunosuppressants they and themselves and hopefully Matt you'll be able to share some names of some of them and um, so I think that can sometimes really help advisors as well because we can hear medications and what I always suggest to people like when I'm doing my training is Google search is your friend because a lot of the time with advisors, we're not obviously medically trained and we'll get used to some medication names, but sometimes the names of the medications are ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and so what I tend to do is I will tend to have, if someone starts telling me something and I'm not sure what the condition, um, the medication is that's being said to me, I'll type what I think is being said to me in the search bar in like Google. And then also type what the condition is and then if you do a search it often then brings it up what it is but I think it could really help to know some of those ones that you're in that, that we'll be talking about here but I know again probably something that's going to come up in a minute um to, yeah I must admit I um with with drug names there are so many names which are effectively brands yes brand name which actually hides well hides for a marketing reason I'm sure but hides the actual product that it actually is yes i hope that makes some sense so it does it does I, I was the... going to say in in terms of parkinson's um so one of the main oh, medications yeah. is levodopa 
but you then yeah. the actual brand name is Deliver, and there's another one there as well. Know. I want to say Cinema, I think possibly, if I remember rightly. Yeah. And you know, straight away, so somebody might say to you, "I take Deliver," and it's just like, right, okay, that's you know, in my mind, I know that's the brand. It's Levadopa, but the majority of people aren't going to probably know that. And so no. I think whichever no. which way you're getting it, just do your Google search. I just I'm very much a fan of that Google search. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I must admit, I think you're pretty better than me on that because I tend to rather than try and remember them all, I tend to Google um because the brand names you know you can in my experience you can get several brand names for exactly the same base product yeah it's just because my dad has it that's the only reason i know no 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 not (laughs) at all not not at all so i mean prednisolone is is one that we will see as a core name and also methotrexate which people i think oh my goodness um yeah that's a strong immunosuppressant but nevertheless it's um it is used for um treating sarcoid and anti-malarial tablets yeah. well, there's some benefit from those um so there are there are a number of um treatments out there which are can do one of two things effectively they can they can drive the disease the active disease into remission yeah and it can be a very long-term uh, remission um or they're used as maintenance therapy in other words they'll be used for the you know for however long is needed which might be the patient's yeah. life um but they're, they're they are pretty good and unfortunately at the end of the day of course you um uh you, you've got to go into the transplant kind of mode just as a as a as a um as a comment in terms of some of the underwriting issues not issues exactly uh, guidelines that are used out there it's again possibly no surprise to our listeners but um uh, when a doctor suggests that treatment is stopped hmm because the symptoms have disappeared. Um, most flare-ups will occur within the first six months of somebody being uh, treatment being stopped. Okay. I will, I will link that now to something I'll say, maybe touch on a little bit later on, but that's where you'll find, why you will find most underwriting guides will say there is no cover or postpone cover for six months after a diagnosis. Right, okay to see how the um the patient goes absolutely yeah just giving that little bit of leeway just because none of us ever know how our bodies all react and um, to things so that makes sense okay good stuff the um numbers we've already kind of talked about and uh, just to just to build on what you already said Catherine I'll say that and it kind of goes back to whether people I, I do wonder about people having sarcoid and they never even know about it or never gets diagnosed. But 60% of people who have been diagnosed with sarcoid know, don't need any treatment at all. Right. So it's now, obviously something where it, it can be quite mild then, potentially. Very mild. Yeah. 60% is a big number, isn't it? It is. So, it's a very well, significant portion. Um, absolutely. So, and just building the number up there, 30% may experience persistent symptoms, um, but with or without treatment. Okay. So 30% will, will go on. Um, and t- 10% develop damage to the organs, which can be life threatening. And this is where you get your transplants. Uh, coming into it as well now in terms of um the prognosis we've talked about all the 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 areas of the body where this can be impacted and 
uh, you mentioned skin and yeah. um, in, in, in medical terminology, cutaneous is, is often used for that. Okay. And um, I can say that in the, in the absence of any uh, disease in the intrathoracic cavity, which is effectively your, uh, the, the, the bits and pieces that are held within the rib cage, um, the disease, disease is completely benign. So if you've literally just, what I'm trying to say is there, if you literally have sarcoidosis of the skin, it is a completely benign condition. Okay. Okay. Now, what's often looked for as well with um, um, when in, when the medics look at sarcoidosis as a whole or potential for sarcoidosis is something with hypercalcemia. I'm not okay. sure if you've heard of that one. I've not. Okay, well, hyper, you'll, you'll immediately go on to, to raised. Um, you'll, you'll know that from your medical knowledge yourself. Mm. And calcemia is literally calcium. So it's yeah. raised calcium. Um, again, um, it's, it's, it's not an uncommon, the link between hypercalcemia and um, sarcoidosis, it's not an uncommon link. But it's, it's very important that we know or the doctors look into it and therefore the underwriters will be interested because if it's uh, it's it can be treated without any uh, any any real concern no not dangerous drugs or anything like that but it can kill you if it is left untreated because what it causes is um it's a buildup of calcium in the in the in the in the tiny blood vessels of the heart so okay sorry not the heart I'm talking about in terms of the kidneys Okay. So something called nephrosclerosis, and that can lead to kidney failure. Right. Again, you've got dialysis and so on and so forth and transplants and things like that. But um, hypercalcemia is an important part of the testing picture with uh, the sarcoid. Um, with the liver, granulomas can occur in the liver, but the liver is such a large organ that it, it as long as you've got normal liver, as long as it's uh, functioning normally, liver foot and uh, um backed up by liver function tests, normal liver function tests, again, that is not a problem. Okay, so, so sarcoidosis, sarcoidosis of the liver with a normal function, not a problem for life insurance. Okay. The big area that we've, you talked about already is um, uh, the lungs. And here um, you would look at the, the, the pulmonary infiltration. Again, so in other words, we're looking at the scarring and the eventual fibrosis of those lungs. And the tests, which are normally carried out there, are a chest X-ray, um, but together with the pulmonary function tests, and, and no doubt modern scanning as well. But you again, you, you as, as long what, what you'll need to look at, the underwriters will need to look at. I'm jumping a little bit here, sorry, Catherine. In terms of yeah. the underwriting side of it, um, is that they'll be looking at the progression of the disease. Oh. So if if um, the pulmonary side of it, the infiltration, the, the, the scarring and then fibrosis, if it remains stable over a couple of years, then life insurance terms can be given. If it starts to progress, then the underwriter is going to be a lot more concerned. Yes. Um, because if it's progressing and treatment isn't really helping or slowing down that progression, then the, the, we, we've already talked about the end game there. Absolutely. I was going to say. Is there anything uh, I've kind of run through probably quite a bit there in one go, which uh, I apologise, but um, it's always fascinating. 
Is there anything that comes jumps out? There's a couple of things that yeah. I thought would be interesting to just go over. So just things that put my mind. So when you were saying about how like sarcoidosis, it is um, an inflammation of the tissue and it starts to, in a sense, grow in a sense. Could we, you know, could there be like um, a miss? Not misdiagnosis, but like a confusion for for because you know I'm, I'm just wondering could somebody be worried that they maybe have cancer you know because obviously we, we're taught that with cancer we get tumors you know we've got change of like tissue and the way that it looks and things like that could it kind of in in for somebody without obviously the medical knowledge and even for somebody with medical knowledge because they need to have all the tests done could it you know could we potentially see things that would maybe be presenting as like a skin cancer kind of looking situation or another kind of lump. Um, I, I, if we go right back to the very beginning, I suppose the symptoms here, shortness of breath, for instance, mm. um, um, uh, chest pain, getting cardiac chest pain for a second, then of course, those symptoms can be a whole variety of, of medical conditions yeah um, or lead to and that's hence why you go for tests and uh, they will they will have a look my understanding is that um once you've had your chest x-ray um then and the associated tests things like hypercalcemia um then sarcoid is is pretty easy to diagnose okay that's not to say that if there is a even smallest chance of a malignancy of some sort, that the the um, the doctors will what they will do is go in and take a biopsy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just and, to be and, and just as a, a precautionary measure. Um. So so that's where I would be on that one. Okay. I think it's it's like a lot of things, you know. What any of our listeners would need to do if they're worried about that is go and see their doctor the doctor will arrange for the the, the, the tests the, the you know the yeah. tests that are applicable to the symptoms and then you go on from there absolutely okay so i've now thought of another one um, so okay go well. yeah so the next one is i know you said that it can go into remission so it is possible so is it possible to completely recover or is it always going to be kind of there in the background no, complete, completely recover Okay, brilliant. That's that's obviously very yeah. Nobody nobody ultimately knows why the immune system suddenly switches on and why it switches off. Um, in terms of attacking the body, um, yeah. I I would say as long as I live a as long as I get over my man flu, which could be terminal, of course. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I think that if as long as I live to the the average age, then I will I would suggest that we will know an awful lot more about how the immune system works. And how we can switch it on and switch it off, as opposed to the body doing it, than absolutely. we know today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say, I am um, absolutely just, fantastic. Some of the stuff that goes on these days. Definitely. And I was going to say, I did just giggle there when you said about being terminal, but I think it's just because I, I don't want anyone to think I'm being flippant with that. It's just that me and you know each other quite well. We speak yes. beforehand and we have a good, we do giggle with each other. It is our humour to, to potentially giggle over something like that, because I've certainly been in that situation as well where. You know, it, it is just that kind of thing where you use card like say, I'm dying, I've got this kind of thing. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. Apologies to everybody. It's my, it's my black humour. No, um, I was going to say, I'm, I'm there with you as well with that. So, um, so just, if you're a medical person, you tend to even use it even more in a, in a very 
Um, yeah, in a helpful way. So do apologize to everybody. I'm not dying. No, 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 no. I was saying it was just the, the fact that I giggled when you said it. I was trying to make sure I wasn't oh, hopefully right. offending anybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I don't want to offend anybody, but no, I completely get that. My my parents oh, were police officers, so dark humor <laughs> is ingrained into <laughs> me. Completely um, over my head, Catherine. That you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, which really disappoints, you know, kind of validates yeah. your point. <laughs> yeah. There you so go. the other thing is, before we start going into what you would really need to know as an underwriter to give a pre-sales indication, is this thing about, I say, potentially, is there like a long COVID connection? Because the, when I say it's something that we've not seen lots of, but then I have to say, post-COVID, we've seen it more. And, you know, it's it's been quite a jump more in a sense, you know, just even for myself, not even necessarily speaking to the rest of my team, but I've gone from pretty much not hearing about this from a client before COVID to now having, I've got quite a few that we've been supporting and then that I've personally spoken to. So, so is there a potential link or is it again one of those things that we just don't know? Like long COVID could be, in a sense, a bit of everything and anything. Yeah, I I, I would always have to say, um, particularly as an underwriter um, and, and having an inkling to the actuarial science that behind underwriting numbers, um, that we're still in a far too early stage of, of really understanding the damage um, of COVID um, and and long COVID as well. But nevertheless, my my personal take on this, and I'm willing to be shot down by anybody is that what we're finding is that people are being investigated for COVID. Mm. And during those investigations, they're finding sarcoid, which the client didn't even know they had. Ah. That, that would be my simple view on it. Okay. That literally, we are finding more because... They're being investigated in the pulmonary area, the lungs, the lungs area in particular, or other things. And in fact, of course, it's not just investigating the lungs with COVID. It's investigating all the organs, as we've found out, sadly, that yeah. a lot of organs can be attacked by COVID or, 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 or impaired by COVID, damaged by COVID. And I, I would guess, and it is a guess, educated guess possibly, that... Um, we're finding uh, people who were, had not been diagnosed with with sarcoid previously. Ah. That would be uh, that would be my take on it. Uh, whether there is a link, there possibly is a, a link in this in the medical, the purely medical side of it. There may be a link, but I think the link is more testing, and they're finding things which they didn't know about. Okay, then interesting. So sorry, not a not a particularly technical answer, but no, no, I just I, I find the, it really interesting. You, I think you want you there. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there are other examples of that type of thing um, yeah. in the medical world where they look for A, but then they suddenly find B. Oh, absolutely, um, it's uh, you know it, it's it's an interesting one, but that will be that will be where I will put my five pounds as of today's date. That it's something that basically something that's been there, but the the long COVID has just led to the investigation in a sense. Yeah. That's yeah. It's really interesting. Well, as I know, we've spoken um, just between us as well. Obviously, I'm, I'm always open about the fact that I have POTS, which is postural yeah. orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and I've had it all my life. Um, and my symptoms probably got. 
I was going to say, do they get more increased? They've not necessarily got more increased as I've got older. I think now that, well, it's a long, long line of things. Obviously, the hypermobility syndrome, when I was diagnosed with it, when I was 12, I was told to stop all exercise because at that time, the rule was stop exercise. Um, because it, and especially with the amount of injuries I was having, it was basically, you know, we really need to do this. Um, and then obviously, as I've gotten older and that I've gone, you know what, actually, no, I really do need to exercise. I need to make this work. And, and so actually, I, and I know the symptoms pre-stop pre exercising matched my symptoms now in a sense. So, you know, I've definitely always had it. But what's interesting, so there's obviously a bit of a genetic link in that with me is that, um, and, I, and I was speaking about this before, Matt, is that my mum um is is probably the person that I get a lot of my hereditary stuff from and um and she's not really been symptomatic of POTS I mean there's maybe been some very very light indications of it but um she suddenly and obviously she's had COVID she's had a COVID vaccine and all of a sudden the POTS has suddenly gone wild with her really really intensely and I know she won't mind me talking about her um so it's, it's just interesting that because again that's that kind of thing of well, it's not necessarily that COVID has developed something like POTS. It's possibly just been there underlying, very likely been there underlying, and it's just gone, eh, now let's have a moment. So really, really fascinating to it, you know, obviously hear from that kind of an angle. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, the you know, we've spoken before, I think one of the first um, chats we ever had um, was... Uh, I feel I'm a very lucky man. I've been being in the underwriting world for 43 years now. Um, what a fascinating world um, that we have in medicine, and particularly over the last 10 years or so, yeah. that it just changes things or it can change things um, almost on a on a monthly basis. And yeah. to, to have a, a a job where the fundamentals work like that is is quite incredible really so yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to the future in medicine it's Absolutely. i think it's an incredibly interesting uh, part of the world or part of our lives at the moment i was gonna say i find it i was gonna say i find it interesting but sometimes i do worry myself because i also as well because i know i don't obviously have the same level of training or understanding as an underwriter but obviously i, I do do my best obviously to, to learn a significant amount about a lot of medical conditions and i'm assuming it's the same for a lot of people you can't help sometimes, but come across a condition and go, oh, I've had that. Yeah. I've definitely had that symptom. And you almost start to, you know, there's some people sometimes in my team where they'll suddenly go, well, I've, and I'm just like, no, you can't do that to yourself, you know, kind of thing. And obviously you do listen and, you know, if there is anything you think, right, you know what, yeah, let's go and maybe get checked or things like that. But it, it is, it, you know, so many common symptoms of so many different things. Well, it's, it's one thing that comes out time and time again, isn't it, in our chats that, yeah. um, you know, what are the symptoms? And goodness gracious, you could probably pick half a dozen of the symptoms as, you know, you've had in the last few months. Yeah. I, I mean, I do know of trainee underwriters who have um, who have had to, to get out of, the, of that particular role because yeah. they've become so worried and anxious about what they're reading yeah absolutely. And reflecting back on them is uh so now it's 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 completely utterly understandable yeah. um and it, it on the other side it it can help having had you know you you know this and a lot of our listeners will know it having had stage three cancer my wife having stage mm -hmm. two cancer um and knowing uh about it in a quite detailed way was actually quite useful yeah because I suppose with both of us, you 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 know the statistics well, and 
because you know about it to quite a, re a relatively in-depth degree, um, it kind of leads to a degree of control. Yeah. You Absolutely. know, of the outcomes, the, the likely, the probable outcomes. The probable outcomes is a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it can be a good thing, but people, it's, it's everyone to their own, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think some people would love to to not know, and then some people would love to to like you, you know, know as much as possible. Yeah, the the real the real um, the, the people I take my hat off to is the people that work on the claims teams, protection claims teams. Yeah. About thinking about oh my goodness, because underwriters can say oh yeah no, but highly unlikely a claims person actually knows what those symptoms were, yeah. and what it, what it eventually ended up being. So, you know, I, I really do take my hat off to those guys. It's an incredibly difficult job um, for a whole variety of reasons. So, oh, absolutely. yeah, it's interesting. But but luckily, there are people around who, who want to do it and find it, if I can, if the, I'm not sure if it's the right term to use, but interesting. Yeah, and I was going to say, I imagine as well, rewarding, you know, even though it's obviously oh, not pleasant, you know, what you're dealing with. Yeah, huge, it's huge, hugely yeah. rewarding. I was going to yeah. say, I'm doing claim stats next episode, so I will talk a little bit like that. And I'll talk about the probably the pros and cons of what a, a claims underwriter experiences, I imagine, um, to, to a certain extent. Um, you know, obviously, I know I'm certainly not there in them, but, you know, I, I imagine there's there's definitely positives and negatives to the jobs, just as with any of us. Um, and um, and we'll, um, we'll go into that a little bit. So, Matt, um, in terms of psychoidosis, my idea is, is that I'd be saying to somebody... When were you diagnosed with sarcoidosis? What treatments did you have? When did they end? What parts of you were affected? And sort of any ongoing symptoms? Is is that a good range? Is there something <clears throat> I've missed? Uh, the only thing um, I've run those through in my head again. Um, so first of all, is date of commencement. When yep. were you first diagnosed? Um, my second question would be which part of the body? So yep. that you covered that. Um, what treatment you had? Yep. I when was the date of your last review? So uh, outpatient's yeah. review. Um, and are you still being reviewed? Yeah, have you been discharged or not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so still being reviewed, or well, what is useful there from underwriters once the date of your next appointment although when yeah. your date when when you've just asked when was, your, when was your last review and you're being reviewed every six months maybe um, did i did i say that how often are you being yeah. reviewed no did. i don't think we did do i don't think we yeah, did how do often, that. That's, yeah. yeah because then obviously you don't have to ask when was the next date of your review so yeah and the, the amount of um, how often the reviews can be really useful as well, can't it? it? Can be, like yeah. with diabetes and you know if somebody's saying to you it's really well controlled, but they're like on a four monthly review, and that's kind of been co quite consistent and will be going forward. And that would usually you I wouldn't usually expect somebody with well controlled diabetes to be on such a short review frame. I mean, if if it was really recently diagnosed, depending upon they might have had a, a bit of a blip in the medication or of a reading at some point, then maybe. But you would usually expect it. I think quite a lot of the time, I would expect diabetes to be just more of like an annual test. Now, would that, would that be right in saying that? I think it's more than six months, six, six months to months. a year. I think one of the one of the challenges I would, I would throw in, and you're absolutely right, by the way, that it is a use very useful guide. Is that I have a, I, I believe that there are guidelines probably nice guidelines um to how often people should be followed up that i know there is um 
but I'm not entirely sure that the NHS have got the ability to follow up people as often as they used to. Yes, I would say. And when we're saying about the next appointment date as well, I think that's kind of a a dartboard of calendar, isn't it, really, as to sort of when it um, might happen. It's so so I just warn at the moment for for um, Android in particular, but they they will know this. It's just a bit hit and miss with the particularly with the NHS on when these things are actually followed up. Yeah. Um, you know, with all the, the the doctors as well going on strike and so on and so forth, nurses going on strike, then these things can get very higgledy piggledy. Absolutely. Um, I think with diabetes in particular, I know it's not the subject we're talking about today. Um, home testing um mm. is now coming out to be really, really strong. Same with raised blood pressure, that I think underwriters are looking more at using that type of evidence yeah. now, taking taking more yeah. um, notice of it than maybe we, we, we used to. Um, and then you get back into tracking devices and using of that, using those, not for those two uh, particular points. But that's another that's another story for another day. <laughs> I was going to say this just reminded me of something. So as you know, I went to Lucid recently. So for anybody advisors listening, Lucid is a conference that's um, really kind of like geared towards claims, underwriting, um, actuaries, um, but incredibly fascinating. Especially if you do work in the space um, that I do, which is helping people really specifically with with usually with health risks. Um, and it's the first time I've ever been. Really, really glad that I went there but just with you saying about the tracking um there was a, a, a person there called Lisa Balboa and yeah. um you know incredibly intelligent really into um like data tracking devices wearables all this kind of thing and she mentioned there was somebody um on her stall and they mentioned to me about this app that she sort of like had and she was using and they, they'd put it up on the screen as well her and a colleague and it was all about using this app on your phone to like look at your it basically looks at your face and scans your face and it gives you so much data it tells you um I think it was it tells you your heart rate just from scanning just like on your facial recognition thing on your phone your heart rate your breathing like regularity um your skin quality um quite a few other things as well like if you put in like some extra bits of data and it was just like, that's actually really, really fascinating. I can't imagine at the moment that that would be something that would be, you know, you know, I, I can't imagine us suddenly going to that for underwriting. But it was just so fascinating to see how much it can do. So even showing what the, the, the showed you on the screen, what the um, the software is seeing and how it's looking at different things and, and sort of picking it up. And, and I was personally very happy because I did do the app and it said that my skin is 11 years younger than I actually am. Wonderful. So I, well, I was you. very, very pleased with that. Um, but, and um, and I think some of my readings were better than Alan's and obviously I was very <laughs> happy because it is always a competition um, between the two oh, of us. Dear. But yeah, it was um, it was just really fascinating to, to see that and to think, you know what, actually this could be, so good at potentially identifying things you know and the amount of stuff that's just happening now where it's just so easy to do it on your phone is incredible okay i know we've got a bit of a tight side tension there are there any so we've done all those questions to the person that we're helping with. are there any linked conditions or specific long-term symptoms that we should be really trying to look out for because obviously if we put in sarcoidosis on an insurer's application it's probably going to ask us some of those things that we've just said. So when were you diagnosed? Are you discharged or not? Um, have you needed to take 
maybe some of these medications. I can't off the top of my head remember what the application questions are, but there will come a point. They vary anyway, don't they? Yeah, they do. And But there will come a point where we won't necessarily capture everything in that application that will actually be absolutely integral to what the underwriters will want to know from that GP report. And obviously, if we can capture it first off in the beginning, then we can maybe help to in a sense, save everybody a bit of time if it ends up being a bit of a no-go with one insurer, but a yes with another one. So is there anything else on top of that list that we should be looking out for? I would, um, not sure about top of li- uh, in terms of extra lists, but what I would look out for is the um, damage to the to the organs that we've talked yes. about. So you've got, you've got lung. I don't think I'd worry too much about skin. Um Hypercalcemia is one to look out for, yeah. um, liver, kidney. Um, so it's the end damage to those that you would want to look out for, really. Yeah. So so basically, and obviously heart, because I've I mentioned before. Sorry, you're absolutely well. right. Um, yeah. so, so basically, we're kind of doing an around body organ check. But I think probably from an advisor point of view, that the best that we can do is probably say to somebody, right, in a sense, what were the symptoms, which organs were affected? I think, I think that's that, that, probably the safest bet for us. That's the, that yeah, absolutely. That should focus the mind, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, fantastic. So in your opinion then, as we're coming towards the end of the episode, what is the most likely outcome for life insurance, critical illness cover, income protection? And maybe if we, obviously I think if we're looking at the extreme ends, then we'd know that we'd be super specialist anyway. So maybe if we look at, if we sort of like do one that's mild, that's been, you know, very, very mild, potentially recovered from, and maybe someone who's a bit mid-range, I don't know if that's possible. Well, mild, mild, low progression, um, you know, uh, remission for a year, it could be standard rates. Um, I would say for kick, then you would be saying that income protection (laughs) is <laughs> always a difficult one yeah. i would probably say either a small loading um i wouldn't look at excluding to be honest with you but i'm not really a great excluder anyway as an underwriter um, everybody wants you now matt yeah <laughs> all the advisors in the land like i want matt <laughs> oh well music's music my ears um <laughs> a, a small loading or if it's after two years i would have said then standard rates Okay, and is that across the board? So uh, life mild, we'd expect standard, but for kick and IP, maybe a bit of a rating, but we would hope after a period of time. I think we. I think we. Yeah. I, I would look at kick, um, in a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in a um, forget. I'm not including necessarily only occupation TBD and mm. waiver. And oh yeah, yeah. And, but straight straight kick, I would be. I would look look upon it in a more favourable way than I would for income protection. Just because of the very nature that for for critical illness you need to be have a you know a definite diagnosis of A B C. Yes. The um, income protection, as you as you very well know, is if, when you're uh, paid out if you're off work for over after a given time. Yeah, and I was going to say on the on the kick side of things, we're talking um, that obviously sarcoid, sarcoidosis isn't a nameable condition, so no. we're talking it's only within the TPD aspect, and and obviously that's. That's often quite a hard. You've got, you've got transplants, of course. Um, oh yeah, of course, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, um, you got you could you know with the helper helper. Oh, my teeth have fallen out. Mm. Uh, hypercalcemia. You've got the kidney failure. Ah, oh, yeah. 
So yes, there are other there, and, and that's why yet. that's why an underwriter would be interested in in um, uh, you know just the definition of sarcoid if you want. Uh, sorry, the diagnosis yeah. of sarcoid within um, within the critical illness plan. Okay. So there are there are a few of those uh, areas that could be covered. Um, in terms of, in terms of middle range, again, um, we are talking about somebody. Let's say for let's just go basic here. We'll look at a person. So we're looking at a person who. Um, it's still on treatment, mm. but there's no progression. I think you're looking at life at around 50. Okay. Um, so just looking... be clear for anyone who's not familiar with that, that means Sorry. life at no, plus 50% to the premium. I was just something about, could somebody listen and think you can get it once you're 50 years old? I don't yeah, know. I just... <laughs> so what does plus 50 mean? It's, 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 I'm afraid I've grown up that since I was 18 years of age. Yeah. It's about, give or take, one and a half times, a little bit lower than, than the basic, yes. yeah. premium, ordinary premium, right? Um for kick, then I think it rather depends on you. You're going to bring in the treatment on this. I suppose you would for life as well. Mm. The, the 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 level of say, let's say, prednisolone. Um, I think I'll be looking at maybe plus fifty, seventy five maximum. Yeah. Income protection. I would have to take. I'm going to be very boring and say individual consideration here. Yeah, I can appreciate that because it, um, it doesn't because take... Is, as you know, there are so many variables Yeah, um, that you're looking at, things like occupation for a start. Yeah. And would immediately spring to mind with somebody. Um, you, I was going to say on the income protection side, would this be, because I know I've experienced this sometimes, so again, just in case an advisor hasn't experienced this, sometimes with some condition you can have a bit of like an enforced minimum deferred so it yes. might be that, you know, yes. somebody might say, well, we can maybe offer this. It'll be, there might even go, there'll be a rating, there might even be an exclusion, and it needs to be at least a three-month deferred period on it. Yeah. Um, so I, I imagine that, that we might fall in the realms of that potentially. I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I would say so. I don't I don't think I'll be looking um, at, at a four-week deferred period. So yeah. I think you'd be looking at 13 or 26, yeah. 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 13, I hope, because... You know, I, again, if, if I'm a huge believer in income protection, it's my favourite project yeah. uh, product. To be honest with you, I love it. I absolutely, especially love it. to underwrite as well, mm. as well as the benefits that it gives to the client. Um, but if 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 somebody is self-employed or so on and so forth, and they've got a really their their income stops after even four weeks, giving them a D twenty six, very much a default position for me. Yeah. You know, so really trying to get down to the D13 because we need to make sure that the plan is, has some use. Absolutely. Once you get to D26, D52, you're looking at, well, not D26 maybe, but D52, you're looking at um, almost like TPD cover in a way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you mean there. I mean, that it works well with it's very broad term. You know, it's, you know, depending upon someone's sick pick, it can work very well. Um, the, the term 52 or potentially if obviously they've got significant savings that they can draw on and things like yeah, that but again the then yeah. yeah it's um it's, it's the variability it's the great thing about the variability of income protection yeah both I love how flexible it is both both yeah absolutely both at sale and at underwriting and a claim so yeah fantastic well i've got a little case yeah. it does i've got a little case study to finish us off then so somebody who we supported who'd had sarcoidosis in the past so it was a female, she was in her late 40s and she was a non-smoker. So she'd had sarcoidosis almost 10 years prior to us doing the application. It had just affected the skin on the forehead and the shins. 
There had been some previous steroid medication. I know we mentioned that earlier about the steroid side of things. And the last symptoms had been five years before the application. So we had a good period of time there. There was some additional factors, though, with this person. They also had type 2 diabetes and fatty liver. So when it came to looking at the insurance for their mortgage, we were able to do them decreasing life insurance of £350,000 over 15 years at around £84 per month. So that's, I think, a really good example to say to people, you know, we do have a condition here that is rare. It's classed as a rare condition. And, you know, it's not something that's going to come across much. It is something that can be mild right through to very extreme. But even with this situation, we have a mild situation here of the condition. There's additional factors here that will have impacted upon the um, underwriting of the application. But we still managed to get cover. It's not a phenomenally out there, out of the way premium, as we can sometimes see. Um, it is obviously still quite a high premium, but it's it, for the factors that we're looking at, it's quite, um, well, it's just quite a good premium um, for, for the different things we're looking at. So when you do see something and it is rare, and then you maybe see something else as well, don't assume that then that means, oh, actually, that's it. I've already got this and this that they've told me about. I know that they're not particularly easy to get underwritten. Now they've got this, never heard of it. NHS says it's a rare condition. I've got no chance. It's always worthwhile still checking um, and at the very least um, chatting to a specialist advisor who can potentially step in. Okay, then. So thank you for listening, everybody. And thank you, as always, Matt, for your insights. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you with us. Next time, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be talking about claim statistics. So I had wanted to do it a little bit earlier in the year, but actually I found, I tend to find, I think that most insurers release them about May. I don't know about yeah. May, but May <laughs> for some reason. Um, why not? <laughs> why converse it to every other month? You know, it's, it's just one of those things. So I'm going to be going through that pretty much from the life and critical illness stage because it's a little bit, um, it's a bit easier to do some of the comparisons between the different insurers if I just stick with the life and kick because not everybody works in the IP space. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about the times that claims don't pay out as well. So that was the thing I was meaning earlier, Matt, when I was saying the negative side of things sometimes with claims where people are speaking to people. They maybe haven't met the claim definition or, or something else has happened. And obviously the claims handler is then having to speak to somebody who's obviously in a very vulnerable space and how that can obviously have quite a bit of a fallout, not only for the person, but, but for the claims handler too. Yep, yep. Um, if you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too. Thanks to our sponsors, the Octa members. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.